What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Blondes Building Equity. We have a special guest on today. His name is Henry Washington. He has over 95 units and has been doing this for five years now. So hopefully he can give us some good tips, coach you guys through some things. So let's jump in. Tell us a little bit about your real estate journey, getting started and who you are. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I've been doing this, like I said, five and a half years. Have a buy and hold portfolio of about 95 doors, but we also do about 10 to 15 flips per year. Uh, when I say we, it is myself and my wife, typically. We hired our first staff member this year, so I hired a content manager, and then we're hiring a project manager, so we're now delving into the the, the world of, of expanding our business. But that's kind of what my business looked like for the past five, five and a half years, and... Um, you know, real estate for me came as a way for me to provide for, at that time, was my new wife. So I I, uh, I found real estate after having a panic attack uh, because I got married and realized that I knew nothing about money, I wasn't good with money, and I didn't have enough to do the basic things that we needed in life. Even though I had a great job, I had a great education, I was making six figures, just the lack of financial education, the lack of discipline with my spending put me in a position where I couldn't be on the loan for our first house. Like I just, there were so many things that were happening in my life that were that I wasn't able to participate in. And that led me to kind of freaking out about, well, how do I take care of this, this new wife and then provide her with the things that I felt like she deserved, right? Which, uh, you know, like, we talked about buying dream homes and we talked about, you know, vacations and all the things that newlyweds talk about. And I was just like, I can't, like, how can I do any of that? And so uh, that led me to a panic attack, which led me to do what people do when they have panic attacks about money is I started to Google, how the heck can I make some extra money? And <laughs> that's, that's, that's when I learned that real estate investing was a thing that normal people were doing. I had no clue before that. I just thought like, that's what rich people did or corporations did. I didn't think like, you know, the guy next door, or the girl next door owned, you know, a bunch of real estate assets. And so I just made a decision that if other people were able to figure this out, then there was no reason why I couldn't figure it out. And real estate piqued my interest. And so I said, well, I'm going to go figure out how to acquire real estate assets, uh, even though I- How did you get started point. since you didn't have any education on it prior to getting started? Looking back, I'm able to see the things that I did and how it lined up to me getting my first property. But yeah. in no way am I saying like I was the savant who knew what was going on at <laughs> yeah. the time. Like uh, I got my first property. So after I had that panic attack and I figured out, okay, real estate is a thing. People are doing it. Uh, I can see a bunch of people on bigger pockets that have figured out how to do this. So I got to be able to figure it out. And so I just said, all right, well, I need to find the people who are in my local market who are doing this. And yeah. then I just want to be around them so that I can see how it's done. Like that was my literal thought process. And so I found real estate meetups locally and I just started to like religiously attend them. Every yeah. single meeting they had, I got in the room. They had lunchtime meetings. They had after work meetings. They met like my the first RIA I went to, they met three times a month. I went to every single wow. meeting. If they had extra meetings, I went to those. And it was more just like me trying to understand how to do the business. But because I was in those rooms so consistently, people started to just assume 
that I was doing deals and that I was a successful investor, right? Just being in the room gives you a sense, uh, gives people a sense of that you are like an established figure. And, and the cool part about real estate investors, I'm sure as you guys know, is like, it's not like other industries where people are very competitive and hold their secrets tight to the vest. Like real estate investors will tell you exactly what they're doing, how they're doing it, share their contacts. They want you to be successful. And so by being in those rooms and when people started to realize like, you don't, you've never done a deal. I thought they wanted to help me. And so as I found my first deal, which I found through word of mouth, I had a friend of mine who had to sell a house pretty quickly. And he heard that I was, I was buying houses and, that was kind of the step two thing that I did is I just started telling everybody I was a real estate investor, even yeah. though I had no clue how to do it, yeah. didn't have money, no clue how to do a deal. I just, I've always been a believer in that the universe will give you what you give it, right? And so yeah. I wanted to put out that I was an investor. And so I found this, deal. My, my buddy came to me and he said, I got to sell my house in 30 days. If you can buy it, I'll sell it to you for, it was, he sold it to me for 116, but it was worth about 155 at that point. And wow. in what market are you in? This was in uh, Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas is where I And where are you at now? Same, same, Northwest Arkansas. Okay, cool. That's where I do all my investing, yep. Okay, yeah, 115, that's a great entry. Wow, yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the price point was great. How did you finance it? So what happened was he said, you can buy my house for 115, 116, as long as you can close in 30 days. And I was like, cool, yeah, I can do that. I had no clue how to do anything. He, he and I worked at the same place, right? So this conversation took place at work. I can say that now because I don't work there anymore. And and, uh, and neither does he. And so um, after he was like, hey, this is the deal, I was like, okay, I can buy it. Yeah, 30 days, no sweat. So I went back to my desk and I was like, Google, how do you buy a house without a real estate agent, right? And it was like, well, you need to put it under contract. And I was like, cool what's under contract yeah (laughs) and And so uh i then ended up downloading a contract off the internet i took it to him and we signed this contract off the internet that said i was going to buy his house and when we were going to close on it and then i literally took that to a bank because i was just like i need money banks have money i'll just go to a bank and say hey guys will you will you fund this deal i took the contract into the bank i walked in and said i want to talk to somebody about buying this house And uh, I ended up talking to the commercial loan officer at a small local bank. All of this was by accident. This was not intentional. I just went to a bank that was close to my work. And so I go into the bank. He looks at the contract and he was like, this is a really good deal. And I was like, yeah, that's why I want to buy it. And he was like, cool. You need 20% down or 15% down. So you need about 20 grand. Do you have 20 grand? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I got that for sure. I didn't have that either. So, then, so then, but, but then because I was building this relationship with these local investors by going to these meetings consistently, I was able to go to them and ask them, how the heck do you guys do this? Where do you find the financing? How do you get the down payments? Like, how do I structure all this? And so one of the investors there who uh, actually ended up becoming a business partner of mine later down the road, he was talking me through all these different options that I could do to get the down payment money. And he kind of opened my eyes to using a 401k loan. And uh, I didn't know you could borrow against your 401k. I thought you only had to cash it out. And so I was like, wait, so I can borrow against it. I'll pay it back pre-tax dollars. And uh, since it's my money, the interest I'm paying on it goes back to me, 
And technically, if I buy the property and use it as a rental, then the rents pay back all that, right? So it was just this like multi-beneficial strategy. And then I was like, cool, now I just got to find a 401k. So I went I went to my wife who lovingly trusted me on this journey from day one, even though she had no reason to. And I said, hey, remember that time I had a panic attack and woke up and said we were going to be real estate investors? Well... Uh, we need to borrow $20,000 from your 401k in order to make that happen. And she said yes without hesitation. We borrowed the money, wow. had the money within like two weeks, bought the house, wow. put a tenant, uh, kept the tenant in it, raised the rents, and then we had this cash flowing asset 90 days after that panic attack. Wow. And I feel like that's all. I mean, you got really, really lucky. It's not always you hear, I would say, most of the time you hear the first deal is not doesn't go as beautifully yeah. as yours just did, you know? So you got really, really lucky. So then was it a snowball? Were you addicted? How did you continue? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was just recording some content and one of the questions I was answering was what part of your success do you equate to to luck? And, you know, I would say it differently, right? So I do agree with you. Not everybody's first deal goes smoothly. Um, mine didn't go quite as smoothly as, as I explained it, but you know, as we abbreviate the story, but what, what I, yeah. what I do know is that I had a panic attack. I found real estate 90 days later, I bought a cash flowing asset. I had subpar credit and I only had a thousand dollars in my savings account and I was able to make it happen. What I, what I know is that I didn't go from panic attack to owning a cash flowing asset in 90 days for me. I feel like God led me to real estate so that I could solve that problem so that I would have this responsibility to be able to share this with as many people as possible to show them that if you are feeling a certain type of way about your financial situation, this is something that you can do. And so I've always felt like I was led there, not for me, but I was yeah. led there and all those doors opened so that I can continue to share it with people. So that's why I love telling the story on podcasts like yours, because it, you know, I, I don't think any of this is, is for us. Any of this is for me, just like you guys have have, you know, built your wealth and you've created this platform so that you can help other people do the same. None of this is for us. And so, yeah, sure. Some luck played a part, but I think it was more me doing what I was called to do. And then now me honoring that by continuing to share it with people. Right. Oh, I love that. So when you started, how did you get the money, did you refinance it or how did you get the money out once you started cash flowing it? Yeah. So, so the story is, the story is cool, but there's a lot of lessons in the story. Right. And so, um, one of the lessons is I took that contract into a bank. Well, that bank happened to be a local community bank, a small local community bank. Right. And so, uh, what I learned by going to that local community bank was that local community banks make their money by lending money. They're not like the larger institutions who are making their money by selling loans, right? So they do 30-year fixed rate mortgages and then they sell those, right? The smaller banks make their money by lending to small local businesses. And what happened after I bought that property is the bank called me and said, hey, Henry, we just did this loan for this property that you did. We'd love to give you a line of credit against the equity so that you can go buy another deal like this and allow us to finance it. And so once I got to talking to that lender about like, you know, how this works and why they do that, he was basically telling me that like, look, bud, you are bringing us a good deal, right? We need to lend money. If you're gonna bring us good deals, we wanna lend on them. 
And through my research, you learn that, so if a small local bank has to make money by lending money, who would they want to lend money to, right? Because a lot of new businesses, as we all know, are going to fail within the first, you know, one to five years because yeah. a lot of new businesses are risky. So if a bank has to loan money, would they rather loan money? Would they rather loan $100,000 to Henry, who's going to buy a real estate asset that's worth $170,000 or $160,000? Or would they rather loan, uh, loan $100,000 to Henry, who's going to start a food truck? Right. And so if I take that hundred thousand dollars and I go buy a food truck and food equipment and then I go belly up, well, then they take the bank will take back those assets. But they take back an assets like food equipment and trucks at, you know, half of its value versus if I default on my loan for that hundred and sixteen thousand, they get a property back that's worth one hundred and sixty five. So they can go sell it and still make more money than they would have made off me just making my interest payments. And so I learned that I was a lower risk loan for them and they wanted me to bring them more. And so I started to develop this relationship with small banks, started to understand what it is that they wanted. I would go out and find the good deals and they would be happy to finance them. And so that essentially helped me to grow and scale because I was able to leverage that line of credit to continue to buy property and I knew this bank was gonna give me the loans. And so the key point here is you had to have a good enough deal for them to want to continue to give you money, right? So what was your strategy then? And what is your strategy (laughs) now finding those killer deals? It is very much the same, right? So what I I learned, obviously, was that small local banks uh, were going to be able to fund my deals. And I also learned that they can be fairly creative with how they do that because, again, they're not selling their loans. And so when you sell your loans, you have to fit your loans have to fit in this box, right? Because the people who buy them, they, you have to fit all this criteria. But the small local banks, they just need their loan committee approval, right? Yes, they have their criteria they would like to stick to, but they can be a little more flexible, right? Because they just have to get their loan committee approval. And so they're willing to be more flexible if you have a good relationship with them, if you are bringing them good deals, right? And so I was able to structure funding where at some point after we had done a few deals, I wasn't even having to bring down payments. The deals had so much equity and they had enough trust in me that I was able to get my deals 100% financed, right? And so if you want to grow and scale a real estate business, there's two things that you need. You need deal flow, right? You need a, a good consistent flow of good under market value deals and you need money flow, right? You need money to buy those deals. Well, I'd solved the money flow problem. So I just needed to solve the deal flow problem. And so I started to do research on like, okay, how do you get good at finding deals? Who are the people in the real estate space who are good at finding deals? And I just kept coming across like wholesalers, wholesalers, wholesalers are finding good deals. And so I said, well, I don't want to wholesale because I, I want to buy everything. But that doesn't stop me from operating my business like a wholesaler. And then when I get the good deals, I just buy them. Right. And so I started to go heavy in direct to seller marketing so that I could generate great leads for deals. And I just buy I literally I buy everything. That's a good deal. I keep the multis and I sell the singles. And that's been my business strategy for the past four years. So how I think like the strategy for the after repair value, how do you calculate that when we're kind of going into a recession right now where we're going to a downturn market because we had our after repair value gave us so much room and now we're still struggling because our after repair value a year ago is 40 (laughs) percent lower 40 percent higher than what it is now so how did you how do you calculate that 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's that's so the difference between your market and my market, right, is you're probably more negatively impacted. Coastal markets are getting hit the hardest first, right? So, um, but I think the the theory or the the process that you undertake to be able to do this doesn't matter where you are, right? And so for us, um, our underwriting is just more strict now. And so you now as an investor, right, you have to be more diligent about understanding your market, more diligent about understanding the metrics in your market because you need that data to underwrite your deal so that you make good quality offers. You know, a year, a year and a half ago, if you made a bad offer, well, the market helped you out because the property value went up anyway, no matter if you made a bad offer or not, right? So we're not getting that same benefit. So how we underwrite deals now is when I run my comps to determine my ARV, I'm only looking for comps that were within the last 30 days, maybe 60. If it was if it was before 30 to 60 days, then I am taking a 15% haircut off that number. And I say 15% because I have my agent that sells all my deals. He sends a weekly report that lets people know kind of what's the list price to sale price ratio, right? And I've done the math on the last several deals that we've sold and the average uh, list price to sale price, meaning what we've listed it at versus what we actually end up selling it at was about a 15, a 12 to 15% discount, right? So we've listed it at a one price and we sold it at a lower price. The gap between those two numbers was about on average 15%. And so now if I'm underwriting my properties and I don't have comps over the last 30, 60 days max, then I'm taking what the ARV was and I'm subtracting 15% and that's my ARV for the future and I'm making my offers based off that ARV, not what the comps are actually telling me. Right, super smart, this right. is so, awesome. So yours, <laughs> your underwriting would just be instead of 15%, you gotta take 40% off of that ARV, yeah. right? And then you make your offers, yep. Yeah, cause we're just yeah. being hit so hard and for yeah. us, you know, being flippers, we're really having to navigate, you know, being like, and the scary thing for us is we're in the multi-million dollar price range, so. Yeah. It, it's yeah. really, really scary, really, really fast. And so we're at this place yeah. where every mentor of ours is like, stop right now, like wait the market out <laughs> at it level. And we're like, we don't want to stop. There's no yeah. part of us that wants to stop. And so we're still yeah. looking for those crazy steep deals. So what is your direct to seller marketing? What is your strategy there? Are you doing mailers? Are you doing cold calls? Yes, I am. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so so I'll break it down now and then I'll talk a little bit about what what it was, right? So right now we do uh, direct mail, cold callers, and I have a I have a website. So with and then we run Google AdWords against that website and I do radio ads. Right. Wow. So those are my four lines in the water. So I get the majority of my deals through my cold callers, and I think that's typically a function of Calls happen immediately. And so my cold callers recall as many names as I put in front of them. And so it's just the volume of touches is higher. And so that results in more deals. I get Are you the VAs best. or house cold callers? Yeah, we do. We do. I do as a third party VA company. So they have they have trained real estate investment cold callers. And then I just pay my monthly fee and make sure they have lists and they call however many names I give them. And how are you um, pulling your lists? Yeah, uh, nothing fancy. All, all my lists come from PropStream, and then we have a, a 
a bunch of different criteria that we'll use. Some that, you know, every market's different, and so the 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 type of lists that work in one market may not work in another. Um, you know, some people love absentees in my market. I do the most deals with owner occupieds, right? So it just it really depends on your market. Okay, so the VAs, because we've worked with VAs before too, and just the language barrier was tough. So uh, it was so hard for them to even get close to closing a deal or even yeah. get any deal. So have you seen successful deals come from the VAs? Really? Absolutely. I've got, so you I've have got the, the, I've, spot, I've got the, I've got the connect for you when we're done. I okay. okay. I like yeah. that. Yeah. We had, it was, it was, it added more to our plate. I was like, I'm just going to call yeah. it. And it was so expensive too. We yeah. were paying at one point, like uh, 2000 a I month or you. something for that. This is, wow. this is reasonably priced and effective. Okay. We actually found a strategy, which we found out was illegal, but we were young hustlers, you know, this was our <laughs> early twenties is we did voicemail drops. And so what yeah. we would do is just find the area code and drop a voicemail to every single person. Yeah. In like 15,000. That's voicemails. like, Hey, how are you? I'm really looking to buy a house in this neighborhood. I don't know if you've ever thought about selling blah, blah, blah. And we actually got tons yeah. of calls back, which was crazy, yeah. but it just automatically sent the voicemail to their phone. And then yeah. we got blacklisted because it's illegal. Oh, no. <laughs> now, our yeah. phone numbers, both of our individual phone numbers are like come up as spam yeah. callers. But that's how we got our list now. Highland yeah. is from dropping. We got so many listings from just dropping those voicemails. Like this guy yeah. once called us and he was like, hi, you called about selling my house. I want to sell my house tomorrow. Remember that guy? Yeah. And we were, we're like, like, okay, we'll be there tomorrow. Great. <laughs> so you never know if you can get creative and not actually, but it did add up that cost to voicemail drops. Right. Uh-huh. They were expensive, but I mean, yeah, long-term though, it pays off. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get, like I said, I get the best volume of deals through my cold callers because of the sheer volume of calls that they make. But I get my most profitable deals from my website um, and my Google AdWords campaign because those are people looking for me, right, instead of me going out and looking. So there's there's typically distress right off the bat. And so I get the most profitable deals from my website. They're just not as frequent. Right. Okay, that makes sense. That's how, I mean, we already know how this market is turning, especially for us, even with one of um, our properties, we took an offer we really didn't want to accept, but it was in our best benefit just to offload it, you know? And yeah. so it really put me in that position where I know now people are going to get to that point where they're like, just take it, take it from me. Because if that's how I was feeling, yeah. I can only imagine how other people are going to start feeling in this market, people getting laid off, people like that. So we're really trying to navigate and find those super distressed sellers, but it is such a high-end market here. So have you ever targeted foreclosure lists or that route? Yeah, we did foreclosures for a while. I did a couple foreclosure deals. I did them when I was newer in the game. And what I learned about doing foreclosures is you've got to be able to move super quick, right? Because a lot of the times these are about to go to auction and there's a lot of communication that needs to happen between you, the seller, the title company, and the lawyers. And so sometimes it doesn't work out if you don't have that established team in place of people knowing how to help you and who they need to talk to. Because if you get stuck trying to navigate a foreclosure and talking to attorneys, they don't want to talk to you, right? They want to talk to a title company or another lawyer. So uh, we did a couple of deals. They weren't as profitable as I thought it took work-wise to get them done. And so I, I, I turned to other lead sources. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So we got to start getting creative then. We might need to get this cold call. Yeah. <laughs> this cold call company gotcha. and 
not flowing. Because <laughs> yeah. we definitely... I think the best deals aren't the ones that you call. It's probably like you said, the ones that come to you. So if we can do a lot more on social media, people will come to us more, yes. right? Yeah, because the ones that want to come like you when you're like, I'm like, we're ready to sell. We sold at a big discount because we were like, okay, it wasn't someone that <laughs> take it off our hands. These yeah. interest payments, these costs, these we gotta cover it. Yeah. Wow. But it's cool that you can find all these creative ways. I mean, we're trying, we really want now to start keeping more deals, you know, obviously, yeah. you know, with flipping, you can make some money, but we obviously want to build wealth. So are all of your units, are they single family? Have you branched off into apartment complexes at all? Yes. Yeah. So we've got a good mix of small multis and singles. So I have, I think my largest is an eight unit. Um, and so I've got an eight unit, I've got a couple of four units, I've got a five unit, I've got lots of duplexes and then some singles. Oh, nice. And what's been your favorite to kind of deal with? Do you, do you agree with the fact that the more units is the same amount of work, so you might as well do more? Yeah, yeah, no, I think there's a lot of truth to that, right? Um, I like single family real estate. I, like I said, I tip, I typically sell the singles, so that's where I'm doing my flips. Um, and I like to keep the multis. I haven't, uh, I had a 12 unit at one point. I sold that, but I love that small multifamily space that between like four and a hundred units because uh, it's too small for the big, uh, you know, for the big hedge funds and the big, you know, um, uh, the big investors, but it's too big a lot of the times for the new investors. And so there's less competition in that space. And it's small enough that there's still mom and pop owners. Like you can find, you know, you can find landlords that still own small multifamilies in their personal name or in a trust, right? And they're typically looking to retire. And so it's also a great list or niche list for you to find mid-level multifamilies that you can get owner financed. Owner finance. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think our biggest hurdle right now and our for our business is like being in California. We have really big friends. You know, we do have those big fish. Even they have a billion in real estate and they're like, if I could start over, I wouldn't be in California. And that's scary for us to really have those where you're locking in. We have rent control. We have the yeah. property taxes, which are crazy expensive. Ugh. The landlord has no rights here, you know, like yeah. it's all to the power to the people, which is amazing. But as landlords, you know, that's scary. And so we're kind of nervous to like kind of hunker down and build those long term rentals here yeah. when they don't have quite the amount of benefits. So we're like, do we need to move? I keep trying to convince her to move, but <laughs> do, <laughs> do we determine the weather's too nice. Uh, California here. lifestyle, huh? Yeah. yeah. Yesterday I was talking to Jake about this. I'm like. I, I say that and then I think about what I can get in other places for the amount of money that we make mm -hmm. versus what we can get in LA. We can't even live in a shack in LA. <laughs> and then we go to Texas or <laughs> Nashville and it's like these mansions on property. And I'm like, where do we want to raise our kids? Like, yeah. unless we're like multi, multi, multi millionaires, almost like a billionaire, you can't live comfortably in LA. And just the entry level for investors, what we've really been experiencing is like, you are in other places you could be, you know, you could dominate that market. And we are a baby fish in the biggest pond ever where you have these billionaires. Or if there's an amazing deal, they're going to buy it up, you know, so we're competing against the top dogs, but we're also 
every deal is one or $2 million. So if there's, there's no room for error, you know, we are carrying each house $15,000 a month in interest payments, you know? So just the heaviness of every single deal. Yeah. So you take one wrong turn and you're bankrupt. (laughs) (laughs) You got to liquidate fast. And then of course, this is the market hit right now. So when I'm telling her, I'm like, I would rather, you know, go dominate another market and be that girl with the sign billboards everywhere in Tennessee that we <laughs> make it happen because it can be really, really scary here. Yeah, it can. Yeah. But beautiful weather. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> beautiful but weather. Sun shining and I got some in and out. So it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and you also want to like, obviously live below your means so you can invest that all back into real estate. And I think a lot of people don't hundred percent talk about that. Like yeah. the building the first 10, 20 years of building this empire that yeah. you want to build is investing everything back in you're right. really liquid broke you're really asset heavy and so doing that in a place where minimum rent is four grand a month to live in an apartment is that's not true well she just doesn't want to live in the lower one <laughs> it's not four- <laughs> her standards she's like that's the minimum- for what you want yeah. yeah. Well, uh, the police are at the, her apartment twice a week. And so I'm going to say, <laughs> but my rent is only 1600 So, hey, every day she's of the cops outside. I'm like, I don't know if I'm still willing to fork up. Like, I'm looking in Tennessee, three grand a month. I've got a beautiful house. I'm living. Yeah. <laughs> That's so that's great. our dilemma right now. So yeah. we'll keep you updated on what we decide. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say to our our new listeners people just getting started if you were going to reverse time and go back five years ago and what you know now what would you go immediately dive in and focus on yeah uh i think new investors um so when you think about real estate what's super cool is that uh it's so diverse right there's so many ways to get into real estate you can use your money banks money private money hard money you can buy small singles you can buy multis you can do luxury you can do apartments you can do commercial right and so what happens i think is new investors get so overwhelmed because no one wants to take this big leap without doing the research but if you've got to go research every single niche and every single way to do something people just get deer in the headlights they get overwhelmed and they don't do anything and so my advice to new investors is you've got to focus on the lowest common denominator and put your blinders on and so what i mean by that is if you think about exit strategies right if you want to flip a house if you want to Uh, If you want to fix and flip a house, if you want to wholesale a house, if you want to wholesale a house, if you want to Airbnb a house, if you want a short term, long term, midterm rent a house, there's one thing you need for all of those strategies to work. Find a good deal. That's a good deal. Right. Exactly. And so if the lowest common denominator is a good deal to making money, then put the blinders on. And all you should be focused on is learning what a good deal looks like in your market or the market you're going to invest in. And you can do that by talking to investors who are doing it. Just go ask an investor. Like I said, everybody's going to tell you, right? So just go say, hey, what'd your last deal look like? What'd you buy it for? What'd you put into it? What'd you sell it for? What'd you rent it for, right? Where was it? They'll tell you all that stuff. You can glean a lot of information just talking to investors who are doing it. Learn what good de- what a good deal looks like in your market. Is a 70% discount a good deal in your market? Maybe. Is it an 80? Is it a 30? Right? Go figure out what that discount is 
uh, 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 for a property that, that would make it a good deal in your market. And then once you have a good grasp on what good deals look like in your market, pick one deal finding strategy, whether it's off market, on market, doesn't matter. Pick one deal finding strategy that fits your budget, right? So you have to properly be able to fund it. If you say, I'm going to send direct mail, but then you only want to send 200 pieces of mail a month because that's all you have money for, well, you might as well throw your money in the ocean. You're not going to get anything. Pick a strategy (laughs) that you're going to be able to fund appropriately and that's going to fit your personality. And the, the reason I say fit your personality is if you say, well, cold calling is going to get me the best results because that's what Henry said on this podcast. But you aren't a good salesperson by nature. You're don't you're, you're going to get discouraged every time somebody curses you out and hangs up on you. Don't lie to yourself and say, I'm going to make 25 cold calls a day. You're not right. Fit a strategy that fits your personality. I don't like cold calling. That's why I hire somebody to do it. Right. Um, and before I could afford to hire somebody to do it, I, I just did direct mail because it didn't require me to make phone cold calls, right? So pick one strategy and relentlessly pursue that strategy until you get an under market value deal under contract. Once you have that deal under contract, then go figure everything else out. Because what most investors want to do is they want to line up their funding. They want to line up all the contractor. They want to get all their ducks in a row because they're so scared, right? When I get this deal, I want to be able to make sure that I do it. But lining all that stuff up without a deal is almost impossible. Nobody wants to talk to you about how they're going to fund your deal if you don't have one for them to fund. They don't want to talk to you about how he's going to renovate your property unless you have one for them to renovate. Like none of that other stuff matters until you have a deal anyway. So learn what a good deal looks like in your market relentlessly consistently pursue finding that good deal until you get it under contract and once you do i promise you you will figure out a way to get that thing funded if you want to keep it and if you don't somebody in your market will buy that if somebody who was a new investor called you tomorrow and said do you guys want this really good deal would you say no well, we don't have money right now, but <laughs> with this market, but no, I'd probably still say yes. Because yes. we go find the money. That's what we've done with all of our deals. You know, we get a two million dollar deal under contract, and then the next day, after it's under contract, we say we got to call everybody we know and find some yep. private money on that phone. Yep. Yeah, constantly. But we 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 do the same thing. You know, jump in and then figure out the details. Yeah. And it kind of puts that fire under your bus. But you know, where it's like you you have. 15, 30 days, maybe, you know, so it's like, that's crazy. And you're not going to lose your EMD. You're going to make it happen. Yeah, That's right. Well, that was the best advice, actually. Yeah, it was. We've ever gotten on that question. Mm -hmm. That was really, really amazing. And I think a lot of investors, because you do get so overwhelmed and, and we were the same. I mean, even though we're really young, we were bigger pockets obsessed, you know, like so many people are. And you watch every single video and you're like, I'm going to buy apartments and I'm going to buy this, I'm going to buy that. And and you never do anything. And so that's the scariest thing. And so instead of just jumping in, staying focused blinders on because that's the only thing the meetups are amazing but you also get a little bit of shiny object syndrome like oh well, shoot yes. he's doing this he's doing this it gets a little bit but you got to yeah. keep your blinders on yeah on your strategy and honing yeah. in on that well thank you so much for this i've learned so much and this yeah. has been so helpful for us it's and i'm sure super helpful for our audience yeah. do you have anything you like to push people to your instagram do you have any coaching yeah. program anything like that so you can find a lot of free information i put out there on instagram i'm at the henry washington on instagram and yes i do have a coaching program uh you can click the link in my bio to find the application on instagram or you can just dm me the word teach and we'll get you an application 
Amazing. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it.